welcome to the Music to My Ears podcast, brought to you by BBC Music Magazine, the world's best-selling classical music monthly. I'm Freya Part, the magazine's digital editor and staff writer, and this week I'm speaking to the British clarinetist Julian Bliss. Despite being only in his early 30s, Bliss has been on the classical music circuit for several decades already, thanks to a very early start. As well as a successful solo career, he's also launched the Julian Bliss Septet, with whom he performs jazz-infused works by the likes of Gershwin and Benny Goodman. During lockdown, Bliss has released a series of EPs produced from his home in Hertfordshire, including a multi-tracking project with percussionist Joby Burgess. His new album of Brahms clarinet sonatas is out now on Signum Classics. We spoke via Zoom towards the end of the UK lockdown. Julian started off telling me a little bit about his home recording studio where he was talking to me from. So in terms of microphones, I ended up with two pairs of microphones, some by Royer, which I love, the ribbon microphones, and then some Sherps, which I think, I don't think I've ever done a recording where, well, very rarely that there hasn't been Sherps microphones. They're so popular and so good. Um, yeah, then got an audio interface, uh, recording to Logic, got a pair of monitors, uh, then acoustic panels for the room and yeah. Wow. Okay, you went I, all in then. I I did, <laughs> I did. Well, the way I saw it, I was like, well, it's it's an investment. That's how I that's how I told myself. It, it's okay, it's an investment. Well, the thing is, they'll last. They'll probably last longer than my playing career, really. Um, yeah, got my own place like twelve years ago, and I think this is the most time I've ever spent here <laughs> ever. It's really. What was your first interactions with music? I know you've been playing. I actually know very <laughs> intimately because I went down a YouTube rabbit hole yesterday. Oh, no. And then if that was correct, why were you playing Gershwin on ITV at the age of five? It, I, I come from predominantly a non-musical family and I don't really know where, where it came from. But one day I decided that I wanted to play music. And I told my parents this, and at the age of four, I mean, you know, you, you do tend to change your mind quite a lot when you're a kid. And I think they thought it was one of those um, passing things and, you know, I'd be on to the next thing that I wanted or next toy that I wanted. But uh, that didn't happen. And I carried on nagging my parents every single day until finally they gave in and handed me a recorder, which I played for a little bit. And then I, I gave it back. The story goes, I gave them the recorder back and I told them that I wanted to play something else. But with no real experience of any musical instruments, I kind of already, I knew it would be a wind or brass instrument. Um, and I, I don't know why. And I remember being in the music shops and trying all sorts of different instruments. And my parents took me to um, a place called Musical, Harpenter Musical, which... I mean, fantastic music school. They do a huge amount for for music for, for young people and youth orchestras. And they had all the instruments there and I just tried everything. And I remember one day in particular, just before the clarinet, they brought out a cello and I tried the cello. Was, yeah, it's, it's okay for me. I mean, cello is a fantastic instrument, don't get me wrong. <laughs> and then they brought out this uh, plastic clarinet. And when I say plastic, I mean entirely plastic all the keys and yeah the pads were made from rubber very very durable um which is perfect for when you're when you're only four <laughs> but uh 
they, they they brought this out and showed me how to play a couple of notes and i was hooked that was it i was yeah that i decided and i don't know whether having the the thought that it would be a wind or brass instrument if i already knew the kind of sound i wanted to to make i could hear it in my mind but didn't know what instrument made that sound i don't know but yeah there was no looking back none at all i i remember it's weird what you remember from from when you're very very little and one thing i do remember is being in the car on the way home having just got my clarinet and um i was in the back playing just the mouthpiece terrible and i think it probably probably at that time they thought you know what what have we done we've we've messed up we made a mistake here but um and of course, when you're that age, you don't think about what you're going to do when you grow up. You don't think about a career. You don't, that never even enters your mind. It was just what I enjoyed doing more than, more than anything else, really. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, then I, I realized, I think by the time I realized I wanted to do this as a career, in some ways, I, I kind of already, already was. I just didn't realize that. I could turn this thing I enjoyed doing into a career. And uh, yeah, that's, that's that's really nice that I was able to do that. Mm. So when you first, when you were age four, when you first decided that you wanted to play music in whatever capacity, had, you, had there been music around you? Had you heard music? What kind of sparked that initial interest? Well, my, my old brother played the French horn, um, which, so there was music in the house and we did have a piano in the house. Um, but there was no, that, and that, that was about it really. No, no one else in the family was, was musical at all. Um, so yeah, majority of the family, my dad, for example, was a, is a motorcycle uh, mechanic and buys and sells bikes and yeah. Um, and even my younger brother had absolutely no interest in music at all. Um, creative still though. He was very into art and now is in film and writing and all, all of that side. So we ended up all kind of kind of artistic in some ways, but yeah, I was the only one that ended up uh, pursuing music. So there was some some music around, but uh, yeah, majority of the family predominantly no none at all. So at what point did you? Because often when you start playing music, you kind of you play what you're given, and you then develop certain things that you're interested in in terms of musical styles or anything like that. What was the first piece of music or? area of music that particularly interested you well going by the for me fairly i wouldn't say they're embarrassing but they can't look back on them with a smile those those videos from when i was very young um playing on tv and it's hilarious to now look at it and remember those things that the, the one i played uh summertime i i remember that really well and i distinctly remember just not being nervous at all which now looking back i mean maybe maybe i should have been it's like my <laughs> first time ever playing on tv and a big tv audience but i think when you're when you're that age you're kind of fearless and nobody ever told me that i should be nervous and nobody ever told me about the things that could go wrong to me i guess it was quite simple there was this thing i'd, I'd learned to play the piece and then my teacher said can you you play it in front of these people and I thought yeah okay why not um and the fact there was all these people looking at me I, it didn't phase me at all um and I just I just kind of enjoyed it and I mean I ended up doing quite a 
got a handful of those TV shows back then, and it was always a huge amount of fun. But yeah, the repertoire was kind of varied, especially at that age. I mean, there was, yeah, Gershwin, and I mean, of course, uh, of course, I had to, and one I played Stranger on the Shore. I mean, you, you can't not, can you? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the Des O'Connor show with uh, with Ackerbilk himself, and we played Stranger on the Shore together, <laughs> which was. <laughs> And his bad. It was a huge amount of fun. I mean, is this still on YouTube? It is. Yeah, it is <laughs> okay, still good. on YouTube. Um, and I think you can see as I'm playing, I'm just kind of looking around the room. Um, yeah, I should be concentrating. I mean, I was concentrating, <laughs> but it doesn't. It looks like I'm somewhere else, completely somewhere else. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the repertoire was fairly varied. And then as I started to get older, of course, you know, most of what I studied and learned was was based in the in the classical world. And so kind of clearly went down that path. And I never really thought about, well, for many years, never thought about playing jazz. And I guess the first time I really heard heard jazz was I was on a trip to the US and I picked up a, a CD of Benny Goodman's playing. And I mean, of course, I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. But it was kind of seemed quite far away from the way I was playing. Um, and I guess I didn't, didn't make that connection, uh, and didn't think it just didn't enter my mind as to, I want to do, do jazz as well at that point. Um, and that wasn't until many, many years later, but, um, yeah, I guess in the beginning it was somewhat of the lighter side of, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, what do you categorize stranger on the shore as, is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was incredibly popular. It was was very popular. People loved it. So that's all that matters, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So this podcast is particularly about your listening habits and how your listening might have changed throughout your career. W- at what point did you start listening to classical music and or jazz or anything like that, as well as playing it as a musician? So with the with the classical side of things, um, kind of as far back as I can remember, then started to listen, and I would always. I wouldn't necessarily say relied on my ears, but I think my ears were my my strongest um, musical thing, and I've always always tried to to listen as much as I can, listen to recordings, listen to other people, but also myself and others when I'm working with them. I think, yeah, that's that tends to be my my strongest um, tool, if you like. Um, but I always, if I was learning a piece. I could always learn it so much better if I listened to recordings and I always would memorize music as well. I I still do, but I could memorize something so much better by if I could hear it over and over again, rather than just looking at it on a, on a page. I think that's, that's how, that's how I would always learn, learn best. And I think it's really a really good good thing to do is, is anyone is learning a piece of music to listen to as many different recordings as you possibly can. First of all, to to learn the music, to get an idea of how it goes, the shape, not just what you're playing, but what else is going on at the same time. But also to identify things you like in the in the interpretation, but also things that you don't like. And that's fine. I mean, not everyone is going to have the same opinions. And I think if you as a musician, if you try and actively quantify what what it is you like, whether it's a certain type of phrasing or the way that they articulate certain notes or dynamics, 
but also quantify what maybe I wouldn't say what you don't like, but what you wouldn't do that then makes your playing makes you a better musician, more aware musician. So I always, yeah, I remember music being on all the time. And for some reason, the one piece that I remember from my childhood a lot is Tchaikovsky piano concerto. I don't know if it was on once or twice or more, but I used to, I had a chance to study at the junior college for a number of years. And my mum would very kindly, as she drove me all over the country and flew with me all over the world, um, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without her. Um, I, I, I remember that piece being on and distinctly remember driving through Hyde Park, listening to Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto. I don't know why. It's really weird what, you're, what you remember and what music, um, what memories music can invoke. But I, yeah, I always remember listening to that, that piece. So yeah, music was on all the time, and um, especially my mum, who who did spend a lot of time with me, she kind of had to learn all about it too. So, and I, I back then I don't know how eclectic my musical taste was. Um, I did listen to I've always listened to a lot of piano music because at the same time of starting the clarinet, I also started piano, and I always really really loved the piano, and um, I think it was as I got older my musical tastes kind of got a bit wider if you mm. like so with the Tchaikovsky is that still a piece that really captures your imagination or was it I think obviously there's a lot going on I guess for a kid as well that would be particularly imaginative how do you feel listening to it these days oh, it's awesome I love it um <laughs> <laughs> simple simple answer no it, it's such incredible writing and I always, I always like listening to it and different interpretations as well. I think now, though, um, from that, I kind of evolved and and then I found. It sounds crazy to say how I found them, but because I, you know, but I, I discovered for myself back then Rachmaninoff piano concertos, and that was like a whole new, a whole new thing. Um, I think Rachmaninoff's my favorite composer. I really do. I could listen to his his compositions all day, every day. Um, him and Oscar Peterson and, well, maybe a couple of others. Anyway, we won't, <laughs> now you think about it. Oh, well. Um, but I don't know. There's something about Ratman and Oz writing. It's just, it's just right. It just works. It's just so, um, it, in, it invokes so many different emotions and feelings and, and images. And yeah, I, I I think I think one of the reasons I always loved those piano concertos is secretly I wished I could play them myself. And I oh, still yeah. have this kind of lofty ambition that one day I'm going to learn Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. I mean, I I would just love to be able to sit down and play play that
And also there's a cadenza at the end. I think it's the end of the first movement of Rack 1 that is just the most incredible cadenza. Like, I, I want to play that. I want. <laughs> that's what I want to do. Um, but then I think, and actually, yeah, piano's always been been there because most of the jazz that I listen to is very piano piano centric. I mean, I, met, I mentioned Oscar Peterson, and he was one. I I often put Oscar Peterson on shuffle, and I would just leave it for hours. And again, I, someone was I was trying to explain it to someone the other day, and the only way I could come up with it, it was just it's just so right it just works the articulation the phrasing the nuance the everything it's just just there and um yeah someone he's one of the most incredible musicians and yeah it's funny how when you actually think about it how piano piano is always kind of very very centric um what do your listening habits on a day-to-day basis look like generally how do you listen it it does vary um yeah, my listening habits have changed. And I will always, I do find, I like putting on music and then doing emails and doing admin. And I think actually that the amount of that side of work has increased in the last year. But I always find myself getting distracted. If I, if I put something on that's really good, then I kind of start paying too much attention to that and not what I'm actually doing. So I I often try and put something like that on, uh, nothing too involved like i wouldn't put a rap man of piano concerto on when i'm trying to send some emails and administration stuff maybe maybe some kind of slower jazz or um something like that but and the times i would really listen to music would be when i was in the car driving to well, various concerts and that's that's kind of all all changed so yeah i think i i don't know the last time i actually sat down and focused on a recording that wasn't something that I had to focus on you know an album that we were you know a first mix that I I'd received and we had to listen to it to to give our thoughts but uh yeah it's always whilst you're doing other things and I think that time and also when I was travel when I would travel on on planes I'd always have music on and I would I'd just sit there and listen to whatever took my fancy and so I think that has that has kind of changed. Maybe I need to get back to that. Just put something on <laughs> and sit there with a nice glass of wine or something. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that sounds very civilised. It does. What are those albums that you reach for when you want something to just sit in the background slightly and not take over? Um, I think there's an Oscar Peterson, uh, I think it's called We Take Requests, that is, I think that's awesome, incredible. Um, Nancy Wilson and Cannibal Adderley is also, I mean, that. She just has the most amazing voice. Um, so, so pure. So, so much. I don't know. You can almost, you can almost feel the like the or sense the vulnerability in her voice. If that if that makes sense. Mm. And yes, the the other band members. It's it's really sensitive playing, and it just kind of draws you in. Very intimate kind of feel. Your eyes don't shine like they used to shine. 
Often now, I mean, we live in a day where listening to a, a whole recording from start to finish is, for some people, a bit of a, a, a novel novel idea now with, with playlists and with discovering a lot of music and we listen in a different way. I Like I said, I will put Oscar Peterson on shuffle and then you have, there's some archive live recordings, there's some studio recordings and, and the time periods can vary wildly. And I think I, I do the same with if it's Ratmaninoff or or any other any other composer as well. So I think instead of listening to full albums now, I will either go and search out an individual piece and then I mean the, the great thing about all of these streaming services is you can you find hundreds of recordings of, of certain pieces and often I will go through and find the one that I like in terms of sometimes recording style, uh tempo, feel dynamics and yeah this we're almost really spoilt for choice so yeah I, I don't know the last time i don't i don't even i don't even have a cd player i mean that sounds ridiculous no. to say i think what i would love to i mean uh, there's lots of things that i would like to have in life um <laughs> but <laughs> one of the things i would really like at some point is a very high quality hi-fi system with a very good cd player and a good um yeah somewhere to play vinyl and just ideally just a room in the house that's set up perfectly for listening and yeah that that's what i that would be really nice because you then could go in and focus on the music that you're listening to um i used to think but i remember i i was at someone's someone's house and they put on uh, a tower of power album um and they had an incredible setup and I shut my eyes and it was like they were in front of me. It was so powerful. And it was one of those, I thought, yeah, that I, I want that. That sounds cool. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's a different way rather than, and you never get the same quality listening through laptop speakers or yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And it's difficult for us as well, creating music that we know are going to be listening to on headphones speakers in the car trying to make it work for all of those applications too so how do you do that how do you try and cater to all those different listening styles um it's a real art the mixing and mastering um and i i knew i always knew it was but have realized that even more through lockdown and i've done some recording myself at home um some multi-track eps which yeah, and one of them, I think there's 35 clarinet parts. Can you imagine? All played 30, by you? All played by me. Wow, sure. And there'll be, <laughs> you know, trying different things, like trying to find a contrabass clarinet, which is the, huge. And I, I hadn't really played one much before, and I thought, well, now's a good time to learn. And uh, Or screeching away on the E-flat clarinet at 1.30 in the morning, just because you get in the mood and you get in the, in the mindset of doing it, and you look at the clock think oh i don't know how my neighbors will feel about <laughs> no. this um they said they couldn't hear it which was great um anyway. good soundproofing yeah <laughs> yeah um or they've just tuned it out at this point <laughs> probably that one but um to to then record at home and then edit edit it all myself and then do some of the mixing i've realized it really it takes years and years worth of experience and there are some 
And I'm very lucky for most of my recordings work with a guy called Mike Hatch, who in that world is just known. He, I think he's the busiest guy I know. I, I've never <laughs> met anyone so busy. He's, Highly sought after. <laughs> oh, incredibly. But a, a wide array of different different types of recordings. I mean, we did a recording of uh, Mozart clarinet quintet. And I think then he went straight off after that to do all the sound for a Lady Gaga gig. You know, that wow. that kind of... Yeah, incredibly versatile. But yeah, he's uh, he's on the team at, at Signum, uh, floating off Signum Records. I mean, well, he, he is. He is part of that. And so I'm very lucky to work with him. So yeah, he takes normally would take care of all of the sound. I, I just have to worry about playing the right notes at the right time. But um, yeah, in these, in these times, having recorded myself, I certainly got a lot of advice from him. And I'm hoping, I think this EP is going to be out in June. It's with uh, percussion. There's some percussion parts as well. And I, the incredible Joby Burgess, um, who also has a bit of a home studio. And you know what is really fascinating, though, is, is when you're in isolation recording one part, and then over time, you hear it all start to come together and then you put on the percussion parts and it sounds, you get this whole new sound and you think, wow, we did this remotely. It's, yeah, it's quite incredible, actually. It's a, a huge amount of fun and I want I want to do more, actually. Yeah. Is that something you arranged yourself then, the piece that you recorded together? So I did three pieces. It's something that in this country... Well, I guess it's the the differences, country differences. Um, these are American um, band composers, and the band world in the US is huge. Mm. I mean, that doesn't do it justice. It's it's incredible. And these three composers, I mean, Eric Whittaker, um, John Mackey, and Frank Tichelli. If you, I mean, anybody that was in a band or choir in the US at any point will know these these three names. They would have played or, or heard or sung these pieces. So they're incredibly well-known. And for some reason, I thought, I want to play these all on clarinet. Um, and I don't think I've been done quite in this way before. The piece by John Mackey, a piece called Asphalt Cocktail, has been arranged for saxophone uh, ensemble. So something similar has been done before. But the other two, um, I don't think have, have been done in this way. Um, maybe there's a reason I haven't realised yet. <laughs> um, I I hope I hope they sound good. I think everyone can be the judge of that when they when they when they're released. But it's such a huge and rich world. The American band world is is incredible. And having been involved in that side of things more over the last ten years, yeah, it was a natural a natural choice um, to to do those three. And so yeah, it's a little bit something a little bit different and maybe some people over here i would imagine haven't heard those some of those pieces so it might be something new for them which is also really really nice is that a kind of area of music that you've listened to a lot in the past or is that a new discovery for you it all started when i started working with uh con selma and leblanc um who make I mean, Conselma is part of Steinway, so one of the largest musical instrument manufacturers and LeBlanc make clarinets and have done for a very long time. And so starting to work with them and then going out and doing a lot of masterclasses and, and working with students in middle school and high school who were in band, from that I was kind of immersed in that world. 
and really saw how how powerful music was in in education in in America. It's so in in some schools so ingrained. I mean, the performing arts centres they have are bigger than some of our concert halls. You think, wait, this is a high school? Come on, you know, the most elaborate halls with with you know raising pits and oh, it's incredible. You think, whoa. Um, yeah, it, and it's they take such pride in it. And some of these, uh, some of the band classes start at like seven thirty in the morning. I mean, that's that is dedication. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I know what a clarinet is at seven thirty in the morning. Um, but it was through that, and then going to a, a lot of the large conventions that I started to to hear a lot of that music, and then was asked to play some of the pieces that have been arranged or or written the concertos. And so, yeah, then then started to to understand it and and know those composers a lot more. And it's a really interesting sound world. Mm-hmm. I mean, wind bands is not it's not a US only thing. There are incredible wind bands across Europe, and over here we have a huge history history for brass bands, which is uh, I think the UK is is known for that. But wind ensembles are across across the whole world, really. But there is something special about the US the US way of doing it. So yeah, probably the last 15 years and especially in the last five, as I've started to think about uh, commissioning a concerto, which I have done now. John Mackey uh, is going to write me a clarinet concerto, which is going to be, I can't wait. I cannot <laughs> wait. It's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, some really, really excellent music. Really excellent. I would encourage anybody to to check it out and some really incredible wind ensembles as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm really into wind band music, but I do think over here, in the UK, it's not looked down on, but I think it's slightly cast aside as maybe because, like you say, it's not so much of a thing. Why do you think that is? It's not considered this in the same realm yeah, as orchestral. Yeah, you're right. And I don't I don't really know. Yeah, it is certainly seen as, as different and we don't tend to have as many wind ensembles yeah. here. I mean, we have a huge amount of orchestras, actually, if you more than other countries. Um, I'm not sure, really. Maybe, yeah, I, that's a really interesting question, and I, I would like to like to bring it here more and and for more people to be involved mm. in it. Maybe it's something that, for a lot of the repertoire, huge, a vast amount of the repertoire we learn is for orchestra, and there is no doubt that you you get from strings, you do get a, a different kind of sound than you do for from only winds, but. When you put a whole wind ensemble together, if they're if they're a very good one and they play very well together, it's a kind of unbeatable sound. I guess in some ways because you have a lot of the same kind of timbre of sound um, and differences. There was all and and the, and the breathing and everything is the same, often the same kind of attack. That yeah, it, you end up with this new sound rather than it sounding like a bunch of different instruments put together. Um, and I'm not saying orchestras sound like that at all, by the way. <laughs> I realised that as I said it. Um, but, I mean, those three um, I mentioned. So, yeah, Eric Whitaker, John Mackey, Frank Kelly, three of the greats. Um, there's a, a guy at the moment who's really, really popular called Omar Thomas, who's in composing some awesome, awesome music. A lot of it, um, or some of it, takes a lot of inspiration from jazz as well. Um, Jennifer Higdon as well. She's written mm. some incredible compositions. I mean, and the list the list goes on. Um, yeah, it's a very rich world, and one I, I really enjoy it. 
Have you ever played um, Equus by Eric Whitaker? I haven't, actually. It was a really, really good piece. I listened to it quite a bit. I mean, Eric is... Eric's a really uh, diverse composer and, and mm. his core works are uh, I mean, utterly beautiful, r- incredible writing. And then his wind ensemble works as well are, are mm. equally, equally as, as great. And yeah, Equus is a, is a really, really good piece. I really like the one. It might be one, maybe I should, maybe I should try and do a version of that. <laughs> Man, that would be, there's a lot of repeated notes, isn't there? I, yeah. I, I remember that bit. Um, Maybe if we go into an, a fourth lockdown, you might consider it. <laughs> oh, please, no. I mean, I want to record it, but I don't want a fourth lockdown. moment actually to move on to a slightly tortured subject at the moment it's alien <laughs> is live music how much physical in-person performing have you been able to do this year if any yeah not not much <laughs> some people really enjoy and by me saying this doesn't mean i don't but some people really enjoy the whole practicing and preparation side but for me the bit i i look forward to the most is the performance I, it's that adrenaline rush. I love being in front of an audience and sharing sharing music and, and kind of getting excited and, and taking inspiration and, yeah, pushing yourself. So that's what I've always gone for. And then when you're practicing and that isn't there anymore, it's kind of, you kind of feel a bit lost. And so my, even the way I, I practice and the way has really changed quite significantly the other thing that has been difficult is a lot of it I leave for the performance. A lot of the interpretation, the if we're going to take time here or dynamics. And when you work with other musicians like that, that's when it comes alive. And the audience can notice that. But when there is no audience, it can be quite difficult to to get into that mindset. You know, from a rehearsal where, yeah, of course, no one would be there to then a concert, but there's still no one there. Mm. You haven't got that that change. So yeah, you have to kind of, I don't know, find it in yourself. You, yeah, you just have to think of all the people watching it. But yeah, I mean, if I do take choose to take some positives from it, then I mean, thankful that I, I get a chance to still do some concerts and maybe we're reaching a different or large audience than we maybe would have done before. You said that your practice had changed a bit in terms of, I guess, you're not practicing for a, a piece for a performance. How mm. has your practice changed over the course of lockdown? Because I didn't have music to prepare, I used that time to go back to the fundamental stuff, all the, all of the technique, which I know that a lot of students, whenever I, I talk to them about technique and practicing scales and long terms, they're kind of grown like, oh, yeah, Glaze well, over. Oh. <laughs> and... You know what, actually, I I wonder if I was a little bit like that when I was a kid until until I went to study with Sabina Meyer and she changed all of that for me. I was I was very young when I went to study with her. I think it was about 11 or 12 or 12. And uh, 
she agreed to be my teacher, but on one condition, which was that I went back to back to basics. And I kid you not, for three hours a day for what felt like a long time, probably three weeks, four weeks, I did nothing but long notes. And I know people think, oh, that sounds like the stuff of nightmares. And at the time, actually, I, I just wanted to play music. I just wanted to do the fun stuff. And I guess I didn't I didn't really realize the benefits of, of doing that. The other thing is as well, those fundamental things, we don't notice uh, an improvement straight away. So that kind of, it's hard for your motivation. But you are, you are always making progress. But after a while, then you start noticing the benefits. And I, I would say hand on heart, and this is, is a fairly bold statement, but I don't think, I don't think I'd have a career in music, certainly in the same way, had I not studied with her. Um, she she changed my playing entirely. But over the years after that, yes, of course, you know, we, we spend time on technique, but with a focus some sometimes more music. So I use this time to really go back to back to basics and, and do that. And also um, brush up even more on the old jazz theory side of things, which means a whole nother world. In the mystical before times, did you attend many live performances as an audience member? I was I was speaking to someone about this the other day, um, and they were asking me about about performances. And when you are often sounds terrible, often the performances you attend are the are the ones that you're in, and then you you sit in the yeah. hall and listen uh, afterwards. And it's yeah, it, it's there often wasn't enough as much time to just go and enjoy a concert and i'd always wanted to do that much more and i guess the ones i had gone to more was a lot more jazz concerts um often my friends or or other band members would be playing in different settings so i'd go along and you spend a lot of time at you know, ronnie scott's or um, kansas smithy's which is another incredible jazz club in london and yeah spend some time there and, and hang out but no, nowhere near as much as I would want to. And I always, if possible, some I know some soloists that they'll do the concerto and then they'll be they'll be gone. They'll be out as quick as you can. Um, and it depends. If you've got somewhere, you've got to travel somewhere else or a long drive, often you a four-hour drive or whatever, then I understand it. But I would always try and stay and listen, um, especially if it was great repertoire as well. Because I... You know what I the other thing talking about piano earlier, the other thing that I'd always been into, especially as I got older, was conducting. And I'd always kind of even now wonder. I think, well, should I uh, should I start looking into it? And I had a chance to uh, be in front of a, an orchestra for a day. And it was yeah, I was nervous for the first time in my life. I stood there with yeah. his bat on. Like, <laughs> what 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 do we what do you mean? What do I do? And it's just to just show, and the, the conductor is a great friend of mine, Michael Seal, and he said, just, you know, just show. And, and before that, actually, we hadn't really had much. He gave me the basics, the pointers, but not a huge lesson in, in yeah, in, in conducting. And I stood in front of this orchestra. He's like, just, just show the music. And I loved it. It was so much fun. Anyway, so I'd always kind of been fascinated, and I'm, I'm wary of, of just trying to conduct without a lot of practice and a lot of dedication but uh, <laughs> i always like listening to the second half to firstly hear new repertoire i haven't heard or a lot of repertoire i have heard but the interpretation of that particular conductor or the orchestra and the combination 
Are there any that stand out to you in your memory, either that you've played in a segment of or that you've just attended as an audience member that stand out to you in your memory? There's the I do remember when I was a kid going quite a lot to see opera productions at the Royal Albert Hall. And and they do such a amazing and the the productions they would put on were incredible. I remember seeing Madame Butterfly on a number of occasions, and you know they turn turn the whole uh, in the round into a water garden, and it's yeah. it was like captivating. It was incredible. You know, one that really does stand in my memory and because it was incredible, I had played a concert with the CBSO Youth Orchestra um, with Michael Seal conducting and we'd done Lindbergh Clarinet Concerto in the first half, which that's a workout. That's a tough thing. <laughs> like 27 minutes of everything you've got. I mean, it's like someone has to come on stage and, and carry you off because you're like a shell of a person. You're just completely, you're done. In the second half, they did the Alpine Symphony. And I thought beforehand, I saw it on the program, I thought, you focused on doing the Alpine Symphony. That's, that's a brave one. And it was incredible. Uh, it was one of the best performances of that piece I've ever seen. Because there is something with a youth orchestra, is a, there is a difference. I, people try and quantify what it is. But I don't know, exuberance or just the way they play is, is kind of different as established orchestras. And they really, they just put everything into it. And it was like an electrifying performance. And yeah, that's one that always, I will always remember. I mean, also being kind of bowled over that these were young people playing seriously well. Any number of times I've had the had the pleasure of being at, at Ronnie Scott's to to hear bands play there, or even some of the jam sessions, and and you have these people that stand up and just kind of captivate the whole room. Um, but yeah, I do want to. Well, before I let you go and get on with your day, we'll bring it back into like the present day. Is there anything that you're listening to at the moment that you're obsessed with, or anything that's really that you can't stop listening to? There's um. Hell, well, these days my musical taste is kind of eclectic. So there's everything, <laughs> everything from uh, the the traditional, the normal in inverted commas classical music, like the the core repertoire, all the way through jazz, and then a lot of the. I've always loved the kind of funk, soul, R and B era. I mean, you know, like Tower of Power, Earth, Wind and Fire. I mean, that's that's great, awesome <laughs> music. Um, but then all the way through to, uh, you know, some some bands and even some kind of heavy, really heavy, 
heavy stuff, uh, heavy metal as well. So that's how wide, how wide it is. So I do listen. Depends on the mood I'm in as to what I, what I put on. Um, but I think because I was because I've been recording from home, I've been trying to find or thinking about other recordings that I could do and other arrangements that I could make to then either do a multi-track project here or something I could record remotely with somebody else. So a lot of that, I can't, I guess you could sort of call it the the more minimalist side of things or the progressive, classical progressive minimalism, that sort of, uh, is it a genre on its own? Um, I guess I've been listening to more. So yeah, Steve Reich, um, uh, Philip Glass, uh, composer Graham Fitkin that also wrote some some awesome music. So I guess more in that kind of world and, and just trying to use that, use the the streaming services that we have to discover new things, trying to do that a lot more. And I mean, like the, the Philip Glass uh, etudes, the piano etudes, they're awesome. And I hadn't, to be honest, I hadn't heard them before. quite a lot of people this because I feel like it's quite a revealing question if you were to check your phone right now and see what the last thing you're playing on your streaming app of choice what what is it well let's uh let's have a look the last thing I played well one of the last things I played was Earth Wind and Fire the best artist D'Angelo Oscar Peterson there's a lot of Oscar Peterson in there and then uh, after that it kind of goes a little bit more further afield to yeah the prodigy and, and all sorts of other stuff i think it's good you know what i some people some people have said to me in the past it hasn't happened for a while but i remember one person who said years ago that as a classical musician you, sh- you should only listen to classical music and i th- i thought that was the most ridiculous <laughs> absurd statement anybody could ever make why why i mean it, it, it all comes from the same thing so much of music all stems from the same roots that why not? And to me, if it's good, if it if the musicianship is good and I enjoy it, of course, that's all subjective. Um, then yeah, I'm going to listen to it. Doesn't matter what the genre is, and you can you can take inspiration, I think, from from a lot of different genres and li- different types of music. I I know there's a I saw recently a video of a clarinetist playing. Uh, I think it was a guitar solo to a heavy metal uh, track on the clarinet. I thought. That is awesome. That's why didn't I think of that? Um, so, I mean, I'm not suggesting we go and do concerts like that, but just even just for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important that we we keep expanding our, our musical, um, our listening horizons, to use that word. Amazing. Well, I think that is plenty for us to be getting on with. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. That was Julian Bliss talking to me from his home via Zoom. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're also available in print and various digital formats across the world. Or 
you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Thanks to Acast for hosting and Brittany Colley for producing. 